a Tricky Kid Media original presentation distributed by iHeartRadio. Hey, all you fans, marks, smarks, jobbers, cheerers, and jeerers. Get ready for an exciting bout of no-holds-barred fun. I'm Dana French, and this is Wrestling. Welcome to an exciting addition to the Tricky Kid Radio Podcast Network, where we take on all corners in the world of professional wrestling. We will be talking with legends from the past, the best talent of today, and rising stars of the future. Don't miss weekly post-show analysis, guest commentary, and live remotes from the matches with your host, a veteran of calling the action ringside, Roy Turner. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of This Is Wrestling. I am your host, as always, Roy Turner. Very excited to bring you a very special episode. We're going to cover all the major events, both globally, universally, but most importantly, personally, from the year 1992. So welcome to our 30th anniversary of all things 1992 in the world of professional wrestling. This is a very significant year uh, in professional wrestling. I guess every year technically is. But it's also, but it seems like such a turning point in the world of at least American professional wrestling. But it was also something that's very significant for me because in 1992 I turned 18 And I don't know, man, I kind of just did this thing where, you know, I'm 18 now and, you know, I'm a man and, you know, I must put boyish things away as the the famous quote goes. And so I actually stopped watching professional wrestling uh, right after WrestleMania, which I guess would have been in April uh, of that year, WrestleMania 8 from Indianapolis uh, at the Hoosier Dome. And I did not see another second. Think about that. Another, I didn't see another moment. Well, I mean, I should say this. I didn't start watching wrestling again on a regular basis until the fall of 2000, eight and a half years later. Um, I saw a, a, you know, a match here, a match there. And I can't even say that. I mean, I really, I don't want to get into what I saw because I want to save it for future episodes. But like, I saw like maybe a total of two matches, one in 94 and I think another one in like 98. That's it. And that was on, on t- and I think I went to a house show in 95 and didn't with a friend and didn't know uh, anything uh, of, of, of who the new crop was. So, you know, so it's, it's so strange to me. This seems to happen to me quite a bit and not just in wrestling with a lot of things that I like. For example, why did that, like, young, unknown, like, not expected or seemingly wasn't going to whatever succeed, like A.J. Lee, like, she was kind of like my, like, punk rock, you know, it's like, you like this thing, you can keep it to yourself, it's like, you know, so, so why did she go on to be, like, one of the biggest stars, you know what I mean, it's, it's like, it's like always like this kind of weird thing with me of, like, like I uh, liked a band, and I stopped listening to that band 
right before they got fucking huge. So I always will see them as that small band. I can never comprehend. So it's always, I always, the point is, I always seem to, to either get into a band or, or get into something or leave it right before something significant and defining is going to change. I don't know. I don't know why that happens. It's not like I'm trying to jump off of a jumping ship or anything. I just, it's just strange to me how that that happens a lot in 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 the things that I consume in my life. So uh, there's probably no better example than this. And you could say that I stopped watching wrestling because you know you, know, you could make all these arguments because you know the product was starting to sour. It was getting weird. All the major stars were mostly were were jumping ship. Speaking of that, to the other rival promotion, all those things would be valid, but they're not applicable because I wouldn't have known about any of that shit. I'm just I'm somebody that is so naive to the ways of the world when it comes to that. All I knew was was that I watched wrestling every Saturday, and then literally like overnight, I just stopped. I just didn't. And and then if I had started watching wrestling again, just maybe six months to a year later, um, it would have been, uh, you know, it was it have been like a completely different product. That's why I'll skip that just for a second and tell you that. So I remember being home uh, on just the you know it was tw- now this is ninety four. I'm twenty years old, and I was bored, and I was still living at home. And my mom and, and my stepdad never went anywhere. And they were, it was this rare time when they were out of town. And you would think, oh, I'm going to have a party. And I had I had nothing to do, you know. And I realized, as I was looking through the channels, that it was WrestleMania Sunday. And I was so disappointed in myself because at one point, that would have been like Christmas. That would have been like the biggest day of the year. How, how did I not know that this was WrestleMania Sunday? Because, you know, two years had passed and I didn't give a shit anymore. It, it was literally completely off my radar. And I even had to like, you know, call my mom at her hotel in Austin or whatever she was and ask if I could order it. And she said yes, because she knows obviously like, oh, you're going to watch that again. Okay. You know, like, cool. Like, you know, my, my little boy is, you know, going to do little boy stuff again. And that's cool. Instead of, you know, uh, and they always want to kind of, I understand that as a parent now, right? Anyway, and I watched it and I, I don't think I knew a single wrestler. And I was just like. And I just wasn't into it. I don't know. I just wasn't into it. But think about how significant that is because I, I mean, I missed the entire Attitude Era. I missed it all. And, uh, you know, all the Stone Cold stuff I mean, and the rock and all that. I caught up back up with it uh, again in the fall of 2000 because they were advertising that WrestleMania was coming to Texas for the first time. And I, so I, get, I did get to see WrestleMania 17 in Houston. And that was Rock versus Austin. And uh, and that was when I picked it up again regularly. So anyway, so what we've been doing, actually, let me go ahead and get into my sponsor here very quickly here. want to thank Martin House Brewery right here in Fort Worth, Texas. It's made in Texas by Texans for their Grublets on Ice. It's a double India pale ale clocking in at 10%. So if I start slurring my words... <laughs> Now you know why. Drinking a big boy beer this afternoon, evening. And I hope you are having a good time, too. So I want you all to hear that, that click of the uh, the can there. Oh, cool way that we've been able to play catch-up is something that we've been doing. 
all year that we just started doing this year via the Peacock app. You guys, of course, remember, of course, the, the WWE Network that uh, didn't actually go under. It just went and folded into NBC. You know, of course, they've got the whole, um, their logo has always been a Peacock. So there's a thing called Peacock TV that is essentially the WWE Network. It's where all that catalog stuff is. And what we've been doing this year, and it's not a coincidence that, we, that we're doing 92, because again, like I said, I wanted to, to pick up where I left off 30 years ago. Think about that for a second. Think about what you're hearing. Think about what you're bearing witness to. So whatever podcast that you listen to, whatever, whatever the topic, especially if it's about wrestling, I'm not trying to like, oh, we're the best, but I think this is something kind of unique. I think that's why I'm I'm, I'm making it public. I think that, you know, you can go online and read on Wikipedia about, you know, 1992 or any other year. But how, how, how cool is that, that somebody is literally picking it up right where they left off 30 years to the date? I think that's significant. It's important. So I want to put you there. So what we've been doing is is that uh, actually, and, I, and we'll get to this because there's going to be an, an, another episode. We've been doing all this 1982 stuff, and there's going to be an 82 wrestling special coming up. I think you're really going to enjoy getting into Mid-South and World Class and a great territory episode we're going to be doing. If you love the, if you love the territories, this is going to be a great one for you. Uh, but now, because that's going to be the 40th anniversary, and a lot of significant things started, for, for, you know, that year in wrestling. Certainly, personally, that's really where it kind of really began. So, on Sat, so and we're reliving that too. So on Saturdays, we watch, we we go and we find, like, like for example, today is November the 13th. Yesterday was the 12th, right? We go and we would have found on Saturday. The November 12th, getting aired on Saturdays, the November 12th episode of Mid-South Wrestling and then World Class. And then on Sundays, we do, uh, excuse me, WWF Superstars that week. And then a new promotion that started that year that I never saw until we started doing this in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Um that uh, was, I believe, financed by Rick Rubin, and, and, and we'll get into all that here, and of course, ran by Jim Cornette, and, you know, so it's just like one of those things where it's like, imagine like watching a soap opera, and then like, you know, you say you watch Young and the Restless, and you know who Victor Newman is, or whatever, and you watch it with your sister, and then you, you know, turn it on 10 years later, and there's still Victor Newman, but it's he's gone through, you know, through 10 years of, of storylines. And or, you know, sometimes you wonder, I wonder what ever happened to that character or even that actor or whatever. And I never, you know, I always kind of wondered and I didn't realize that so many and you can almost can kind of parallel this to the music industry. There was so many of those 80s bands that around 92 when Nirvana hit big, uh, they went number one in January of 92. It was kind of out with the old and in with the new, right? Same thing with those wrestlers. Like there's a lot of those guys, like the Rock and Roll Express, or even for a while Jake the Snake Roberts, and all those eight. Speaking of territories, I'm, I'm a territory guy. So all those territory guys, like where did they go? Like even if I was watching, I didn't recognize any of the wrestlers. Did they retire? Surely they didn't all just all retire at once. 
I never really gave it much thought of where they went until I started doing this and I started realizing that because at that point, you know, I, I would have had no access. I don't give uh, no no offense, but I don't give a shit about New Japan and all that stuff. And I just, I just there's only so many hours in the day. And when NWA became WCW, I, and that's the thing I have think about that too. I've never seen one second to this day of WCW programming. I know about the Bash at the Beach thing when Hogan turned heel sometime around '96, but I literally and I and I I'll get to it. It just doesn't really appeal to me. I got to be honest. So that'll be something that I would only would do for this show or research. And who knows? Maybe when I start watching it, maybe I'll be like, "Oh man, this is great! What 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 have I been working on?" But there's something about that that doesn't appeal to me. Okay, so let's let's stay on, focus here and stay on track here. So that's kind of what gives you a bit a bit of a general overview of what we're going to be doing here. That we're going to walk you through all the events of 1992. Um, you know, like I said, each week of wrestling, you know, the different uh, promotions, the major events of the pay-per-views, things like that, except for WCW. Because, again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you a personal uh, history. So if there was a Halloween Havoc or a Super Brawl or something like that in 92, I, I, I can't speak to it. And at that point, it would really only be like me just citing Wikipedia facts. And you can do that on your own. So anyway, so... Grab your beer, grab your snacks, let's dive in. We're going to start at the very beginning of January of 1992. Come on back. Now, if you're a wrestling fan, what do you think of when you think of January? Well, I know what I think of. I think of the Royal Rumble. And dare I say that in my, for my money, and again, I didn't see the Royal Rumbles from 93 to 2000, but... The ones that I did see from 88 to 92, and again, from my guess, that would be 2001 to the present day, 1992 is my favorite Royal Rumble. In fact, it might be my favorite match. The buildup to that was just so perfect and so fun and just my favorite, you know, my favorite time as a wrestling fan is definitely the territory pre-WrestleMania stuff from like 82 to like 85. But hands down the 87 era of WWF around WrestleMania 3 but man that 1992 build up with Ric Flair and you know holding up you know you know him bringing the belt over from from NWA uh, WCW whatever and you know him coming in at number 3 and you know and going all the way of course these are some spoilers here I'm sure if you're listening you know the, these these facts by hand, this is like you know, you know, DiMaggio and and or you know or whatever you know those famous baseball stats that everybody knows. And I love this match so much that what I decided to do uh, is I thought, man, we got to do something cool. We need to do a watch party. I've been doing a lot of that uh, this year. Uh, um, I hope you're following along on Twitch. That's at twitch.tv slash DJ Tricky Kid. We've been having so much fun with this 82, 92 thing on top of our our you know our weekly gaming episodes. Friday nights we do uh, more of a newer gamer thing. Saturday nights we do retro gaming. Sunday nights is DJ sets. Thursday nights is movie night. Doing a lot of fun. So make sure you're checking that out over there. And I hope you're also following along uh, on Twitter. Under at this is wrestling with just no G W 
R E S T L I N. Okay. Now, that that man, I need to do like a watch along. Okay. So we did, and I brought some friends along. If you guys are wrestling fans out there, obviously you are. You probably know who the WWF sign guy is, Rick Ackberger, and he's actually a good buddy of mine, and he doesn't live far from here. And Rick, if you ever, you know, if you're a WWF fan and you have always seen him at ringside, he's always sitting next to this kind of older looking guy with the long hair. That guy's name is Scott, and Scott is actually, uh, I'm actually closer to Scott. Actually, Scott is a is a big rock and roll guy, and. Uh, and we talk all the time, and so we you know, we go to events uh, together. And you know, I'm still the voice of TSW Wrestling, and our next event will be December the 17th. Uh, the very first person to hear this and to write to me on Twitter at This Is Wrestling, I will give you a pair of tickets to the event on December the 17th at Addison Studios here in Addison, Texas. Well, anyway, so I decided, hey, I invited those guys over. And we did a full-on watch-along of the 1992 Royal Rumble. And it was glorious, man. We had so much fun. Uh, if you missed it, uh, make sure you go to our YouTube channel. That's uh, Just type in Tricky Kid, one word, TV. It's the second word. And it'll come up, and you can see us howling and laughing and having such a great time. Reliving, again, my favorite Rumble. And, I, and, what I, and here's something else, though, too. What I learned later, that was a lot of people's favorite Royal Rumble. And I, my favorite thing, you know, Bobby the Brain's commentary is just gold. But that's not fair to Flair. I still say that in my everyday conversations. And his speech at the end, when he holds the belt and he says this. Congratulations, Ric Flair, on becoming the undisputed champion of the World Wrestling Federation. Let me just say, after Vera distorting the belt to proclaim me the real world champion, I'm going to tell you all, with a tear in my eye, this is the greatest moment in my life. When you walk around this world and you tell everybody you're number one, the only way you get to stay number one is to be number one. And this is the only title in the wrestling world that makes you number one when you are the king of the WWE. You rule the world. I mean, man, that is in my DNA, man. You know, I love Ric Flair. I know everybody loves Ric Flair. And I mean, how could you not? But I think I like him for different reasons. I think that when I talk to other Ric Flair people, it's like I, I can't consider my part, count myself a member of that tribe. Uh, it just feels different, but it's just, I, I don't know. When I think of Ric Flair, I, I just think of him as like a world-class wrestling guy, you know, or even, you know, I think of him as a territory guy. So that's why it was also so crazy. That's what, I mean, like, that's, you know, I mean, let's not be revisionist here. That was weird that he was in the WWF. That's the one guy that you were never going to see in the WWF. It was just, it'd be like seeing The Undertaker in, in, in NWA or, that's just the one guy that ain't, ain't going to happen. So, And then him bringing like, the, the belt over, I mean, it was so weird. And, of course, absolutely captivating. Uh, a few other different significant things happened uh, that brought us uh, 1992. Is uh, in, I'm sorry, that brought us 
uh, good fortune in January of 92 that was the birth of Sasha Banks, man. One of my absolute favorites. So many wrestlers you would believe are turning 30 this year. And, of course, I know that Sasha uh, is kind of on a hiatus right now. It's been... I will, we'll see what the future holds for her, but I would definitely would love to see her back in, in a wrestling ring um, in any capacity for any promotion, preferably, of course, uh, for the WWE. Thank you. I've been watching WWF stuff, so I've been, been saying that lately. So, uh, But also, you know, I'm not a religious person, but, you know, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Uh, and on January 26th, the Tri-State Wrestling Alliance uh, closed down due to financial problems. And when I say the Tri-State Wrestling Alliance, it's trivia time. So what promotion am I talking about? Uh, if you guessed ECW, Extreme Championship Wrestling, you would be correct. So remember what I said at the beginning about how 1992 was such a pivotal, crazy year? Of you know the, the the landscape the the complexion of WWF with all these other wrestlers going over to WCW or wrestlers just whatever doing whatever uh, the, the birth of Smoky Mountain the birth of of extreme championship wrestling if you can think about it it has been around for that long now that's not a product that I can say that has ever been for me and again since it had its heyday in the 90s of course i missed all of that too and i'm totally okay with that i'm totally good i'm i am i'm not a paul Heyman guy even though i think he's actually doing some of the best work he's he's ever done in his career especially on the mic and i actually enjoy him now the work he's doing now with roman reigns and the the bloodline is just it's just world class, man. And I don't mean about the, the, the Von Erics in Texas, at least not yet. Um, it is just the best. He is just gold on the mic every time. He's just found a space where he can be perfect and gold and deliver every time. And he's been doing it for a while now. So hats off to him. But the guy with the ponytail running the thing and out of Philadelphia with... All the blood and the guts, that's just, that's not for me at all. I, I, could, I couldn't even begin to tell you how that's not for me. But we are here to, to talk about the significance, and it's definitely significant. Uh, and, 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 you know, and it uh, was just the, the next evolutionary part of the entropy uh, of the sport of professional wrestling. And things were getting, you know, like anything else in the 90s, they were getting more extreme. Uh, pun intended, you know, and this there was a void to fill there, and they boy did they fill it. So, just to give you some background here, uh, you know, it's kind of funny that like ECW was actually still using uh, the tri state wrestling title, um, uh, heavyweight championship to, to represent its own championship, although. Paul Heyman will tell you that the ECW title was not considered a continuation of that title. Uh, Tri-State Wrestling Alliance was actually was owned by a guy named Joel Goodhart. And of course, like we mentioned in 1992, Goodhart sold his share of the company to his partner, uh, Todd Gordon. And that's who, who, re who renamed the promotion Eastern Championship Wrestling. And when Eastern Championship Wrestling was founded, it was not a member of the NWA. At the time, Eddie Gilbert, who was like the lead booker 
at e- when it was called Eastern Championship Wrestling, uh, had managed to, you know, was able to secure a television uh, uh, deal uh, out of Philadelphia, but that wouldn't start until April of '93. Uh, so we'll get into all that, uh, but uh, that next year when we do our '93 episode. But that's that's the seeds right there of ECW all beginning in 1992. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with more with all things in the sport of professional wrestling. 30 years later, this is our 30th anniversary of all things 1992. While we take a short commercial break, you should too from trying to get yourself over. And since you're listening to this, you probably have disposable income. So let our great sponsors tell you how to put it to good use. On What's up? It's everyone's favorite wrestler, the glamour, Mariah May, and you're listening to This Is Wrestling with Roy Turner. Now, back to the action. Now, of course, the Royal Rumble, of course, as we know it, sets the stage for WrestleMania. As any pay-per-view sets the stage for the next one. Right now, it's not like how, how it is now today, where what's at stake? Because you got to have something at stake in the Royal Rumble other than we I won or a trophy or bragging rights. What I think also made the '92 one so um, powerful and exciting was because if you, the storyline as it was going on is that the title was vacated at the time. It was there was no champion. The winner of the Rumble was going to be claimed the champion, as you of course heard, you know, Ric Flair eloquently uh, detailed, you know, with a tear in his eye. So now as we know the Royal Rumble, of course, we know it to be this thing where, you know, you want a shot at the title at WrestleMania and it can't be missed. So I I mentioned that because, you know, if you weren't alive or watching wrestling or knew the culture of wrestling at this time, there were only four pay-per-views a year. It wasn't this once a month thing. Or golly, for a while, I think there was like 15 a year. That's more than once a month. And what comes at, at, at the cost of that? You think, well, we're going to be breaking in more money and that's all we care about. Well, then this is what happens. When all you care about is money, you put out an inferior product. Back then, they would promote and hype this thing for months. For months at a time. So by the time the actual thing went down, you already had the whole card memorized. You could do the whole thing. And, you know, you weren't going to get another one for a while. So you watched it over and over again. And it's kind of like how music is, was consumed. I would get, you know, it wouldn't like the internet where I can just, you know, type in some song and it's disposable. I would have to, like, get out a cassette tape and turn on the radio in I mean, a commitment and sit by the stereo waiting for that song to come on or even calling the radio station to request it. And if it came on, you'd had to hit record so you would have it or save your money and commit to, you know, purchasing that. that. I mean, so because of that, we didn't consume a whole lot of music. So because of that, you weren't going to get another tape for a while. And back then, cassette tapes only had four songs on each side, so you knew it also was less music, even from this one artist. So you would hear those same eight songs that are just buried into your DNA. That's how it was back then with wrestling. After, you know, four a year means they had three months of promotion. By the time that, that you know, God, Lee, that's 12 weeks of just really hammering it in. 
And I can tell you, and also you have more time to commit to things like that back then. I can tell you probably the entire match of who entered in what order and all, I mean, just the whole bit. And I couldn't even tell you the pay-per-view that I watched, I think on Saturday uh, of NXT or the, the crown jewel thing. I couldn't, I really couldn't tell you anything about it. Other than that Logan Paul guy from um, YouTube, whatever was, was a part of it anyway. But again, it's a people's history here. And I want to mention that there's something in our vernacular that happened as the buildup. Again, people that want to talk about wrestling, you know, they like to get super serious and nerdy about it, and they want to talk about it all in revisionist tale. And I have no interest in that. They, they want to talk about like this popped this, and this is what this was what was going on behind the scenes, and this is why the Sid Justice versus Hulk Hogan match was so inferior because of contract. None of that crossed my... I, I would have had no concept of that in 1992 and no interest. And here it is three, 30 years later and I have even less of an interest in any of that bullshit. We're going to talk about it as we consumed it. Keeping it 100 with you right here. And so one of the things that entered our vernacular that we still say to this day because you know i work with teddy long at uh at tsw and he has told me so many funny stories about sid justice just being a big block of empty space in terms of when it comes to brains he's got the brawn but man his his lack of intelligence is notorious it's on top of his you know lack of skill in the ring unfortunately but, you know, you didn't care about that. I wasn't sitting there watching this match going, man, this is going to go down in history as the worst match in the history of WrestleMania. He doesn't have any physical prowess. And look how blown up he is. And using all that lingo. No. I would not have been able. I'm, I'm, my disbelief was suspended to the point where I had no opinion of my own, that that's how far removed I would have been. I all I would have known was was that Hulk Hogan was fighting this big guy, and it was awesome. Now I can see it for what it is, but uh, the point is is that in leading up to it, of course, you know, with the Royal Rumble, uh, Hulk Hogan kind of like fucks uh, Sid Justice over in one of the most poorly executed things you've ever seen in your life that and that's on both of both of them but especially Sid Justice he just god he just overacts and he telegraphs everything it's just it's just not there and of course you know notoriously he says oh let's give another shot at it and you hear um this is a year later of course and you hear that famous line from Jim Ross where he goes we're live pal he had forgotten he was on live television Anyway, so he's giving this uh, this this promo, uh, and remember at the time there was this on-screen president guy named Jack Tunney. When Sid Justice delivers this golden gem right here, that we still say to this day. What happened at Royal Rumble? It was simple. I was the last man standing. I would be the world champion if it wasn't for you, Hogan, pulling me out from outside the ring. Now, what you did, Jack Tunney, was bogus! So now we're getting to the big day. This is WrestleMania 8. And I can remember that this was 
the first and I guess the last time I hosted a WrestleMania party at my house. Uh, period. Again, I was 18. I really wasn't probably hosting a whole lot of parties uh, before that anyway. WrestleMania 1, uh, I saw like on VHS like a year after the event. Probably the same with WrestleMania 2. WrestleMania 3, shout out. Uh, I've been looking for this guy on, online since social media began. Danny McGee uh, from Detroit, Michigan. He and I saw WrestleMania 3 together. One of those great childhood memories you'll never, ever, ever forget. That is just as important as the birth of my child, uh, children. We saw WrestleMania 3 live uh, in Jacksonville, Arkansas at a trailer park that we lived in together. Not together, but in the same trailer park. I'll never forget that. Danny, if you're out there, I would love to get in touch with you. WrestleMania 4, I I think I saw again on VHS a year after. Same with 5, and, and, I, and I, I didn't see 6 till like 20 years later. It was one of the ones I just, I, I never saw it. And uh, seven, I think I saw on pay-per-view, probably would just by myself. So WrestleMania eight was significant because I remember like like it was there was a a house full of people watching this, and it was the last time that we the first and the last time that we did it. And I can remember putting in the VHS tape to record it and all that shit. And uh, and WrestleMania eight has not aged well. It's not one of those classic. WrestleManias that people talk about. In fact, when they talk about WrestleMania 8, they talk about it negatively. Again, I wouldn't have known any different. Uh, I would have had no opinion about that. I would not have said, oh man, this isn't going to be very good. I was like, this is going to be awesome. Uh, You know, maybe it might have occurred to me why Hogan wasn't facing Flair. Because I was used to be a a bit of a wrestling snob myself as a kid. Me and shout out to my man Joe Barry. We would get the kayfabe magazines, the we called the After Mags, the Bill After magazines, like Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and and those things, and just pour over them page by page. And uh, and to us, when people would say wrestling was fake, what they were talking about was WWF, but not. Not world-class championship wrestling out of Dallas, Texas. Not Mid-South wrestling, you know, out of Little Rock, Arkansas. That was the that was the real shit. That was our shit. Uh, but so you know, so to us, you know, Flair was our guy. Hogan was kind of the clown, even though I, I did go on to become a, a big Hogan fan uh, as a wrestler, uh, a human being, not so much. Anyway. So I remember that, and I loved Randy Macho Man Savage so much, and I loved Flair so much, that it didn't matter. It was just, it was going to be a good time, you know? So it's now April in 1992. Uh, and again, a double main event, Sid Justice versus Hulk Hogan, and uh, Randy Macho Man Savage versus Rick Flair. Uh, let me see here, if I can remember some of the, of the undercards here. Uh, let's see, it was the Bushwhackers uh, versus the Beverly Brothers. Uh, of course, and they had Randy Savage's brother, the genius, with them. Shawn Michaels with Sensational Sherry uh, versus Tito, uh, Tito Santana. Uh, this was the Undertaker versus Jake Roberts. Uh, that was written down with Bret Hart uh, versus uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper, who was my absolute favorite wrestler. Uh 
And then let's see here was the eight man tag with Big Boss Man, Virgil, Sergeant Slaughter, and Jim Duggan. Hacksaw, my man. Versus the Nasty Boys, Repo Man, and the Mountie. And it's crazy I don't remember that because I love the Repo Man. I love the Mountie. That's what's been so great about watching the, you know, wrestling every, you know, every Saturday now, Superstars. People want to go, oh, man, God, this show used to suck back then. All they did was just some big guy face some jobber. But, God damn, it was so much fun. And it was so much more fun. I got to be honest, man. I know the product now has better, better production values and definitely, you know, obviously, you know, I love that, you know, women's wrestling is my favorite. And there was basically no women's wrestling back then. You weren't seeing women on TV at all back then in a wrestling capacity. So, you know, I would much rather watch Alexa Bliss than Iron Mike Sharp uh, uh, for the 40th time, I assure you. But, man, it was so fun back then. Uh, so I'm surprised that I, I don't remember that one. Um, and again, of course, you know Randy Savage versus Ric Flair, and he won the belt. That was that was a that was a big, uh, excuse me, that was a big deal that he had won and had beat uh, him. Uh, I remember that whole thing with Tatanka versus Rick Martel, uh, and he'd stolen the eagle feathers or whatever from him, <laughs> whatever. Natural disasters, earthquake, and typhoon versus Money Incorporated, Ted DiBiase. And Erwin R. Scheister, of course, father of now uh, WWE superstar Bray Wyatt. Um, Owen Hart uh, versus Skinner. And that probably was the first time I'd, I'd ever had seen Owen Hart and had forgotten. Um, because later when Owen became a star and, of course, his tragedy, I didn't know who they were talking about when that went down, when I heard about that happening. Uh, and, of course, Hulk Hogan versus Sid Justice. So uh, I remember we had a good time with it. So it wasn't like you could say, well, golly, you stopped watching wrestling. Like literally the next day. Like why would I have thrown this big, huge WrestleMania party? And that, that's how into wrestling I was. And literally stopped. Because, <laughs> you know, Money Night Raw was still a year away from being uh, invented. Why would I have stopped? Did it suck that bad? I don't remember that program ending and going man that fucking sucked i'm i'm done i don't know why i guess i just got busy the summer was beginning i don't i don't know i can't tell you why uh so i don't want to be revisionist here so but let me let me read you what uh the reception uh was critics praised the intercontinental championship match between piper and hart um and let's see here. What else? Uh, the Flair versus Savage match was okay, despite a very abrupt finish. Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer gave the Hogan Justice main event negative two stars, citing their lackluster performance and the late entry of Papa Shango, which necessitated a hasty rewritten ending. The main event was also ranked by YouTube Wrestling Channel Cultaholic as the worst WrestleMania main event of all time in their 2019 ranking of every WrestleMania main event, while saying that the WWF Championship match between Flair and Savage should have been the main event. <clears throat> and I, and that for that, I agree with that. So, And again, I don't, I don't like to inject uh, revisionary because I would not have known anything about any of this behind-the-scenes shit and, you know, the dirt sheets kind of stuff. But this is interesting. 
Uh, it says that, you know, Savage's primary opponent during the spring and summer of 92 was Flair. With the storyline, of course, with that whole thing about Flair's alleged past relationship with Elizabeth. And and it was revealed that the photos that Flair had shown uh, with him and Elizabeth, of course, were fake. And that they were actually of Savage and Elizabeth. But in real life, Savage and Elizabeth were about to separate. Um, of course, you know, they had gotten famously gotten married the previous... I think Survivor Series in 91. But they were actually already married. But they were about to separate and did. And actually Elizabeth made her final WWF appearance in April of 1992. Just a few weeks after WrestleMania 8 at the UK Rampage pay-per-view. And WrestleMania 8 marks Elizabeth's last major pay-per-view appearance in the United States for the WWF. And her and Savage's uh, divorce was actually finalized in September of 1992. So again, a very significant year with a lot of changes and a lot of things. It was just this very delineated line of things ending, things beginning, everything changing. A great example of that, um, of course, would be, uh, you know, Hogan and Piper both took hiatuses. These, these were the two of the guys who were the main event in WrestleMania, the first WrestleMania. Both took hiatuses following WrestleMania 8. It's kind of like, you know, we're going to do the big show and then we're Audi 5000. Jake Roberts, that was his last appearance uh, for four years. And, of course, you know, when he came back... He of course was responsible and you know, indirectly for the birth of of Austin three sixteen of course, uh, and his whole born again Christian thing whatever. But uh, you know again, so that's just such a you know a significant changing of the guard, which brings me to this. So where did a lot of these guys go if they didn't go to WCW? And that brings me to my next thing: is that Jake Roberts, I believe immediately went to this and this is where you know you're thinking that the territories at least in my mind the territories at least in my mind then ended in 87 when mid-south became uwf which sucked uh in 86 or 87 whatever i missed my beloved mid-south wrestling to me, I didn't know of any other territories other than world-class championship wrestling, which ended, I think, in like 89, 88, 89. So in 92, there was no such thing as these territories. I hadn't picked up a, a copy of, of Pro Wrestling Illustrated in God knows how long, so I wouldn't have known. Uh, and, you know, and, and, but when I was dialed into the territories, the only territories that I would hear about outside of those were because of, of the after magazines like AWA or Mid-Atlantic. And I understand that now all it is, is it's just the same thing. It's just it's the same promotion run by somebody else, you know, and then the wrestlers would wrestle, you know. I mean, I'm sure like the exact same storyline was happening that they did in Mid-South with the same wrestlers. They were able to pull it off somewhere else. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, Mid-Atlantic or what Jerry Lawler was doing in Memphis and things like that. I would have no access to that. So that's why I never even heard about Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Literally until a few years ago, kind of when 
the whole uh, WWE Network started, and it was on there, and I was kind of like, what the fuck is this? And I think it's also significant because I think that's where Chris Jericho eventually makes his professional wrestling debut in America. So before we get into Smoky Mountain, let's bring you up to date here. Because uh, now we're like uh, in April, now about to be May of 92. Uh, March 3rd, Mandy Leon, one of my favorite uh, wrestlers, uh, was born. Uh, and also, let's see here. And March the 12th, Triple H makes his debut. And unfortunately, that February, Buzz Sawyer, who I've been seeing a lot of his work. We've been watching this Mid-South Wrestling from 82 on Saturdays. And of course, we do WWF and Smoky Mountain on Sundays. Uh, he passed away, unfortunately, uh, on February the 7th. So we're taking another quick break, and we'll be right back, and we're going to get in because, like, literally the very next thing that's significant in professional wrestling after WrestleMania 8 is people are now seeing the beginning of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. We'll be right back. from Greenville, South Carolina's Memorial Auditorium. Welcome to another action-packed, exciting hour of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. All right. So, of course, you know my man Jim Cornette, you know, being a fan of Mid-South, perhaps my favorite feud ever is the Rock and Roll Express versus the Midnight Express. And uh, so, you know, the guy I've always loved Jim Cornette with the tennis racket. Uh, I've been fortunate to actually work some shows with Cornette. I know people have his, their opinions about him. He's got a big mouth. I don't know him personally. Maybe if I did, I would have some of these same negative opinions. All I know is is that he, he was insanely entertaining to me as a kid. Even my dad enjoyed it. And when I've met him and worked with him, it's been nothing but pleasurable. I do understand he has this thing called the Jim Cornette Experience podcasting, and he pisses people off. I, I, I haven't actually heard it. I don't. I have no opinions. I'm not siding with anybody. I'm just telling you I'm not a part of that when I compliment Jim Cornette. Okay. Uh, he formed the promotion actually in October of 91. Uh, I guess he had he had gone to WCW for a while as part of NWA. Uh, with Scandy Scott, Sandy Scott and, and was backed, like I said, financially by music producer Rick Rubin. Like how just how we know that Billy Corgan is a big from Smashing Pumpkins is a big wrestling fan, now the owner of NWA. The first events and TV tapings were held in October of November, but like I said, matches from those shows were not shown until February of ninety-two. Uh, and the first Smoky Mountain Heavyweight Champion, Primetime Brian Lee, won the championship in a tournament held at a thing called Volunteer Slam, like I said, on May 22nd, 1992, in their home base of Knoxville, Tennessee. Smoky Mountain being Smoky Mountain Wrestling, right, in the Smoky Mountains. And the first Smoky Mountain Tag Team Champions were crowned in a tournament f final at a TV taping uh, a few weeks prior in April. Uh, uh, 
when the Heavenly Bodies defeated the Fantastics, and those were names that I would see around the territories and things. So, uh, so it was it was a you know this was going to be you know kind of filling a void there and carrying the weight. But again, I would have had no way of having access to that. In fact, even those episodes are not part of Peacock. Uh, Smoky Mountain doesn't begin on Peacock until around 95. And I think it's because the production value of those early shows are so poor and so bad. Not just as they did it, but I think that like whatever tapes that they, you know, recorded it on just didn't survive it because I've been watching it on YouTube and I got to tell you, I struggle with it. It's it's interesting for for from a historical standpoint, but it's largely unwatchable. I have watched some of the '95 stuff, and it's much much better. But look at some of this talent that was here. Like I said, you know, Volunteer Slam. Uh, the main event was Brian Lee winning the title, and who did he face? Paul Orndorff, who was in the main event <coughs> at WrestleMania seven years prior. They had, you know, their kind of their version of SummerSlam called Summer Blast. Uh, but a lot of great talent here in Smoky Mountain with Rock and Roll Express and the Heavenly Bodies and, um, you know, just uh, 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 if you're wondering where, because I always wondered where those guys went, and now I got my answer. Also in May, Antonio Pena and partners created the Mexican professional wrestling promotion, Asistia Asoria which is AAA, which would later grow to become one of the most dominant promotions in Mexico. And as we head in to now, of course, the summer with SummerSlam in August, let me bring you up to speed here and also give our condolences. Uh, June 7th was the birth of a wrestler uh, named Sarah Lee, who unfortunately passed at, you know, Shortly after her 30th birthday this year, under circumstances that uh, I guess are, will only be known to her family, but she had, you know, young children. I think she had just gotten married. Um, she was on Tough Enough. Uh, famously, she beat Mandy Rose in that competition, but for whatever reason, things didn't go right uh, for her professionally and then now personally. So uh, our condolences to her friends and family. Rest in peace to Sarah Lee. In July of that year, Edge makes his debut. And just a few weeks before SummerSlam 1992 that took place in London, England at Wembley Stadium, the first major of the Big Four to take place outside uh, of... Actually, I take it back because WrestleMania 6 was in Toronto. So, got to take that back. But what I mean is, it's, it was, I think it was the first one outside of North America. And I do remember that being, even though I had stopped watching wrestling, I remember seeing, like, oh my God, they're doing this in England? Like, wow. And the stadium just looked so huge and massive. And so, another uh, great thing that happened uh, there uh, in... Uh, Great Britain, uh, just a few weeks prior, was the birth of Soraya Knight. Uh, of course, famously known as Paige, who just has returned to wrestling as a member of the AEW roster. 
uh, which is fantastic. And they're actually going to be here uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. They usually come every December for a thing called Winter is Coming. And it'll be at the, uh, excuse me, Uh, at the uh, uh, Curtis Caldwell Center in Garland, Texas, which is just a few miles north of Dallas. I think it's this is our fifth or sixth appearance. I, and I've been to all of them, I think, but one. And we will be there in the house. It's going to be a great, great night of wrestling. I'm excited to see Ali Wrestling and a few others. And stick around because we're going to be having some uh, some AEW guests. I uh, can't tell you about it just yet, but we're going to be having some guests on the show leading up to that big event all right so now we're in london england it just like i said it feels crazy how on one hand the wwf was on top of the world for the first half of 92 but by the time we get to the end they did not end strong by the time we get to the end it feels like the whole roster is gone and they're introducing just all these crazy characters that just seem like they weren't meant to last. Do you know what I mean? They were just seemed like they were trying to hold on. So I think it's just crazy, you know, that I have just now have seen SummerSlam 92 for the first time ever. And I watched it this summer just, so, you know, as part of, like I said, we're doing it all. We're watching every week. We're even doing the Saturday night's main events that we're going to get to in a second. We're watching all the pay-per-views. We're doing it all in order. How fun is that? How fun that we're reliving it. Um, but I remember even then, like I said, it just looked like it looked like WrestleMania. It looked like the biggest crowd since WrestleMania three. When you just see this, that awe-inspiring, just you know, any shot you see the Silver Dome at WrestleMania three, you can't believe that that many people are together. And it gives it a prestige and an importance and a big fight feel. And I feel like that that this had that same feel to it. And I remember, you know, the shot you've seen over and over again of the, the road warriors riding their motorcycles to the ring. And, and, of course, this being England, of course, they you know, they were leading with Davy Boy Smith, the British Bulldog. I remember seeing imagery i guess of the build-up to that but i never saw the actual event or even knew the results of it until now i i didn't never know that that later on you know like you know the mega powers exploded in 85 with savage or I'm sorry uh at wrestlemania 5 was savage and hogan i never knew that they was later on was savage and the ultimate warrior as the ultimate maniacs and those two is individual promos are fucking bananas. But when you put them together, it's like they're trying to out bananas each other. It's fucking crazy. It makes for incredible television. And it says here, uh, it says WWF considers uh, the crowd at SummerSlam 92 to be the fourth largest live audience ever to attend a WWE event with uh, over 80,000 in attendance. WrestleMania 29 uh, that I was at in 2013 at MetLife Stadium is reported of, of having uh, 80,676. Of course, WrestleMania 3 and 87 is reported of having, of course, 94,000. And WrestleMania 32, which was in Dallas uh, in 2016, is reported of crossing that 100,000 mark of, of 101,763. The lineup, of course, was Hacksaw Jim Duggan and the Bushwhackers. 
uh, versus the Mountie and the Nasty Boys in a six-man tag. Papa Shango, of course, went on to be uh, the the good fa- the Godfather or whatever, uh, versus Tito Santana. Uh, the Legion of Doom, of course, the Road Warriors, Hawk and Animal, that great shot of them riding their bikes to the ring with Paul Ellering, uh, uh, defeated Money Incorporated, Ted DiBiase, and, of course, Erwin R. Scheister. Nails. I always love that. Like, okay, we got we've got the cop and big boss man. Now we got to have the convict uh, with nails, who face Virgil for some reason. Uh, Rick Martel uh, versus uh, Shawn Michaels. Uh, the Natural Disasters versus the Beverly Brothers. Crush versus Repo Man. The Ultimate Warrior versus Randy Savage. So this is actually, I guess, before the Ultimate Maniacs were born. The Undertaker uh, versus Kamala, um, and then Tatanka, who I loved, I used to love him, uh, versus the Berserkers with Mr. Fuji, and of course, in the end, the British Bulldogs, the greatest moment of his life and career, beating uh, the Bret, Bret Hart for, and it's just kind of funny that the Intercontinental Championship was the main event. That's the prestige of that. Now the belts are fucking meaningless. And I can remember when, you know, the Honky Tonk Man and, and, and you know, the Intercontinental Championship was a big deal. And Hogan versus the Warrior and winner take all of WrestleMania 6, that was that was a big deal. Now the Intercontinental Champion, just, it, was, it feels like the U.S. title or just some any other title, you know. And here's the aftermath. Now Randy Savage, who was continuing to kind of sell his kind of like supposed injured leg, Lost the title to Ric Flair at a TV taping in September in Hershey, Pennsylvania. But during the match, Flair received help not only from Mr. Perfect, but from, uh, of course, Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, who was also a bit of a newcomer in 92. You're starting to see the birth of, of, of him. Uh, igniting a feud between Savage and, 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 and Razor Ramon. But Bret Hart claimed in a 2014 interview that WWF owner Vince McMahon had worked out the title change match with Flair and Savage beforehand. And he was angry when they returned to the dressing room after the match because they had failed to do much of what was agreed upon. McMahon was so angry that he actually sent Bobby Heenan out to signal that the match be aborted and then made them go straight back out and restart the entire match. After producing much of the same match that they had they had immediately prior, McMahon allegedly threw his headset onto the table and stormed off. I'd heard that before. Uh, I also heard that they had planned that for the Ultimate Warrior um, would be the one to accept Mr. Perfect's services, obviously turning heel, and he refused. Uh, so that had some, you know, something to do with their whatever. But as the warrior, but the warrior, here's something else that's that's very, very, very significant. And to 1992 of, of being so significant that the sowing of the seeds are right here is that the ultimate warrior obviously, you know, quit the promotion. Everybody knows this. In November of 92, his spot was surprisingly offered to Mr. Perfect who accepted it in spite of Flair, thereby turning babyface and initiating a feud with Flair, which, of course, culminated in Flair leaving the WWF at the end of the year. So, you know, like I said, they were riding so high with the greatest Royal Rumble match ever with Flair winning. 
And by the end of the year, he is gone from the company. So is Hogan. So is Piper. Uh, you know, like I said, uh, you know, it's crazy that... Let me say that again because I got kind of tongue-tied. They were riding so high with Flair winning in the beginning of the year. By the end, Flair is gone. The Ultimate Warrior is gone. Hogan, Piper, just... It's crazy. Uh. And, you know, of course, we you know we learn later, of course, about the Ultimate Warrior, you know, famously holding up Vince McMahon. Something happened at this event um, in the same uh, regard. Uh, upset about the amount of, of his pay for appearing at SummerSlam, Kevin Walkaltz, who, of course, who played Nails, confronted WWF owner Vince McMahon right after Survivor Series. Um... That we're, we're going to get into the next pay-per-view here in a second in 1992. And from what we understand, he legitimately attacked Vince McMahon. And we're going to get into all that. We're going to take one final break, and we're going to come back with the fourth and final of the Big Four from 1992. And we're going to get into the Survivor Series and the last Saturday night's main event for 14 long years. We'll be right back. All right, so now as we head into the fall in November, looking for the Survivor Series, let me bring you up to speed. Uh, let's see, in September of 92, JBL, John Bradshaw Layfield, made his debut. In October, so did Matt Hardy. Maybe not in the WWF, but you know what I mean? Like, this is where their, their careers began and gave us so many years of joy. And how we mentioned, of course, those Von Erichs down, down here in Texas. In November, Marshall Von Erich turns 30, the son of Kevin Von Erich, who was born on the same day as one of my favorite wrestlers who I miss, uh, a girl who wrestled as Peyton Royce, who looks like uh, her career as a wrestler. It seems like she's not interested in returning to the ring, at least not for now. So hopefully we'll see, and good luck on everything that, on your future endeavors in anything that you decide to do. Love, Peyton. Okay, so the final pay-per-view, and what's so funny is that I actually don't have to, to prove my point, I don't have to read off a list to tell you what the matches are for Survivor Series 92, even though I never saw it and still haven't seen it, but because I have been watching WWF Superstars from 92 every Sunday morning this entire year, I, and again, you know, three months of promotion, I have it buried in my brain. And I'm not going to read it because I am about to watch it. We're all going to, we're going to watch it uh, next week for, right before Thanksgiving because it debuted on, remember Gene Okerlund, you know, don't miss it on Thanksgiving Eve. Uh, call your local cable provider and all that great stuff. So uh, we're thinking about even maybe doing a, uh, a watch along. Wouldn't that be fun? We'd love for you guys to join us. Uh, so hope so. I hope you guys are having a, a, a wonderful holiday. Of course, there's going to be the 2022 uh, Survivor Series. So that's what's so great. We get to like a one-two punch. We're going to do the 92 uh, Survivor Series, followed by, of course, the current one uh, the next day. So for a fun Survivor Series weekend, all sandwiched there with Thanksgiving and Black Friday. So, of course, it was uh, Crush versus Repo Man, uh, the Head Shrinkers. Uh, of course, this is the beginning of where you're first seeing uh, Fatu, of course, which was Rikishi. And, of course, his sons, twin sons, Jay 
and Johnny Uso are on top of the world as part of the bloodline uh, today. Uh, versus High Energy, which was a team with uh, Owen Hart and Coco Beware. Of course, the horse, the big boss man, Nails Card, Tatanka and Rick Martell, Savage uh, and Perfect, um, uh, ver- like I mentioned, versus um, Ric Flair and Razor Ramon. Uh, Yokozuna, we're seeing him, let's see here, versus Virgil. Uh, the Natural Disasters, of course, Earthquake and Typhoon, and the Nasty Boys versus Money Incorporated and uh, the Beverly Brothers. And this is really, if you think about it, this is the only actual Survivor Series match. I can remember in years later that Survivor Series was a name only. There was actually not even one traditional Survivor Series match where previously, to my experience, before this in 92, every match was let's 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 look into that let's look into the chronology here if i were to look up the 1991 uh let's see here the 1991 one it looks like yeah every match except for the undertaker of course versus hulk hogan is a survivor series match we get to that so that's something else that seems to be going away by the time we get to 92 there's literally only one of them Uh, and it's and it's fun to say that Steve Lombardi, of course, was played the role of Friday, who was Kamala's handler. He, I don't think he was when Kamala was in Mid South, but that was kind of cool for me. I didn't remember, you know, I didn't see this at the time. I didn't see Kamala's WWF run. I wish I had, because it's funny because on Saturdays right now we're watching Mid South wrestling, where Kamala is a major player, and golly, I'm so entertained by him. Rest in peace to him. I know he passed away last year. Uh, it was attended by, uh, it was in Cleveland, by the way. It was attended by 17,000 fans, the same number as the previous year. It drew more fans than any of the following three Survivor Series would draw, by the way. And the uh, and let's see here. But again, like we mentioned, of course, you know, the thing with Ric Flair and Mr. Perfect lasted until the end of the year, and then Flair was was history. And like I mentioned, Kevin Wolkholtz, who had portrayed Nails, had left the WWF shortly after Survivor Series because he was upset about his pay from SummerSlam, uh, confronted owner Vince McMahon and reportedly attacked him physically. Uh, he later testified actually against McMahon during, the course, the famous steroid trial from 94. Uh, but his statements of... of Wolkowitz's statements have been reported as having actually a harmful effect on the prosecution because his anger at McMahon overshadowed his testimony. Like, you know, like if he had kept it together, but instead it was like, okay, this guy's got too much personal shit going on. And, of course, uh, Shawn Michaels became involved in, of course, a feud with, of course, Barty Jannetty that, you know, earlier that year, the whole thing happened, of course, with, you know, at the barber shop and all that. And think about that too. Like I saved almost, I think, the best for last. Because when I think of 1992 in wrestling, I think, of course, number one, the Royal Rumble and Ric Flair winning in his speech. I think of WrestleMania 8. But I think the number one thing I think about is seeing Shawn Michaels sending Marty Jannetty, which through that barbershop plate glass window, 
And it's just one of those moments where you never forget it. It was shocking when it happened. I was shocked. And they played it over and over and over again. It was just, you can't imagine the grip that professional wrestling had on my life at that point. And this was, this was the actual hand around my throat, you know. And it's kind of also kind of prophetic because it was, you're literally seeing somebody's career ending because Janetti never recovered from that professionally. And what's crazy, of course, is that when you think of Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart at Survivor Series, you're thinking of a much different one five years later uh, in Montreal, but that's a story for another time. And two very, very significant things happened in 1992. The end of something legendary and the beginning of something absolutely legendarily profound that is still going. And what I'm getting at is in September of 1992, Andre the Giant made his last television appearance for the WWF. And on December 21st, the show with Primetime Wrestling used to kind of mimic, you know, Vince is always trying to mimic mainstream stuff because not to steal from them, but he it's for like legitimacy. He wants his shows to look, look, look like the NFL. He want he so he wanted his talk show to look like the Tonight Show. By '92, it looked very different. Of uh, them sitting around the table, him and Bobby the Brain Heenan, Jerry King Lawler, uh, Sergeant Slaughter, and what have you. And and December twenty first was the final episode. I'm sorry. Yes, uh, was the final episode of Primetime Wrestling as he announced that coming that March was going to be the juggernaut that we that was going to begin the following year, which of course is WWF Monday Night Raw. One of my favorite things when I think of 92 or when I think of wrestling period from the 87 to 92 era is Saturday night's main event. I could not exaggerate to you how exciting that was. It was just so strange that suddenly wrestling was coming on at like 10.30 at night. And I'd been up since 6 o'clock that morning watching Saturday morning cartoons. And then I'd been watching wrestling uh, at Mid-South at 11 that morning. Then I've been out playing with my friends all day. And if I was lucky enough to go into my friend Tommy's house who had cable, I would have seen the NWA on the Superstation, uh, followed by maybe some world class. Uh, you know, this is, of course, the 85, 86 era. Um, so, you know, so now I'm only getting one hour of wrestling a week on Saturday mornings with superstars. So the fact that it was just suddenly on and it's, it never seemed to be like oh okay it's once a month or twice a month or whatever or twice a year you never knew when it was going to be on it seemed like until like a few days before and when you got that when you heard about it oh my god so leading up to it uh saturday night's main event that was actually taped in october but aired on November the 14th, and right now it's November the 13th, so tonight, but right before I came on, we watched Saturday Night's Main Event, which was the last Saturday Night's Main Event until two, March of 2006. 14 long, long years. 
Thank you guys so much. Again, this has been All Things 1992 in Wrestling. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope that uh, you've been following along and hope you'll copycat what we're doing if you're not already. You know, Saturdays, like I said, we watch Mid-South uh, and uh, from that corresponding year. For example, like next Saturday, we will watch that this week in November of 82 of World Class and Mid-South. And on Sundays, we do the same with WWF Superstars and uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, which you have to go on YouTube, like I mentioned, for that one. Again, hope you're following along on Twitter under This Is Wrestling with no G at the end. And make sure you're subscribing. Uh, and again, we've got so much great stuff. Make sure you're following along with the Twitch uh, account uh, channel, which is twitch.tv slash DJ Tricky Kid. This Tuesday, our guest will be uh, Toadies drummer Mark Resnick and Comics Therapies Aaron Myers. We're going to have a great two-hour discussion about all nerdy things comics. We might even talk about the WCW comic book that came out in 1992. So make sure you're checking that out and stick around because the 82 episode is just around the corner. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Ring the bell. That does it for us this week. We hope you had a slamming good time and be sure to join us next week for more in-ring action. This has been a presentation of Tricky Kid Media Originals, distributed by iHeartRadio, created and directed by Roy Turner, edited and mastered by Marcus Miller, theme music by The Buckpats, original score by Jocelyn Hunt, artwork by Antora Sandy, marketing and PR by Francesca Miles. Tricky Kid Radio is hosted by Roy Turner with introductions by me, Dana French. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next week.